Hey babes, and welcome back to another episode of A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary folks living revolutionary lives. I'm Kevin, I'm glad to be with you. I am so excited. This is a episode 137. Can you believe, is that correct? No, no, it's not. It's 134. There's 137 episodes because I have a couple like extra ones in there, but this is episode 134. It's featuring a conversation with my friend John Steingard, who is the host of the podcast and YouTube show, The Wonder and Mystery of Being, which has featured all of my friends on there, which is just so delightful and good. John is a lovely new friend, and I'm going to introduce him a little bit more in just a second. But first, announcements. If you're not following me on social media, then you don't know that um, A Tiny Revolution is now a part of the Irreverent Media Group. It's a collection of podcasts and content creators who are making stuff for everyone along the deconstruction journey. Whether you are somebody at the beginning of it, you are post-Christian, you are ex-Christian, you are somewhere in between, or you don't know where you are, you're just trying to figure it out. We've got a show and content and person for you. So go to irreverent.fm. That's www.irreverent.fm. And follow us at irreverent underscore FM on social media to learn more about us. And please mark your calendars for April 18th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We are having a live show featuring all of our hosts, including Blake Chastain of Exvangelical, including Tori Glass of White Homework, including Sarah Heath and Josie Jimenez of Making Spaces slash me and Sarah on Ask Your Aunties. Uh, excuse me, it's called Your Favorite Aunties. I keep messing that up, but one day I'll get it right. Anyways, uh, it's it's an incredible thing that we're putting together, um, and we are already we're looking to expand. We want to include shows. So if you've got a podcast um, out there that is, uh, you can know, kind of in the same vein as what we're trying to do here, please shoot us a message and sign up for the live show, so you can fun, have fun and hang out with us. Anyways. Uh, all that information is in the link in my bio, which is, you know, you can find that all over the place. Anyways, that's really it. This conversation today on the podcast with my friend John Steingard is wonderful because we talk about faith. We talk about deconstruction. We talk about his journey of faith and how he really came to understand it, uh, especially being the lead singer of Hawk Nelson, which was like one of the like biggest Christian bands of my youth. If I recall correctly, and if you know, if any of y'all are out there, you know what I'm talking about. Shoot, damn. Anyways, uh, this conversation is delightful, and it took a little bit longer to finish up, so I didn't stop it. So this episode, we're going to have episode one or part one of this conversation with John Steingart, and then we're going to have episode two, where we're going to talk some more. And that episode's going to come out in a couple days. So please go ahead and grab yourself a drink of whatever you prefer and send this episode to a friend who you know is going to love it so you can gab about it later and enjoy this episode, this conversation with my friend, John Steingart. Yeah, well, I spent my adult life for the most part in a Christian band. And that consumed my life in, in some good ways and some not so good ways. And then uh, I got into doing video work and uh, film work uh, a number of years ago, maybe four or five years ago. And that, uh, that led me to come off the road and spend a lot more time with my family. And, and then I began to deconstruct my faith and take a look at it in new ways and 
wonder which parts of it are healthy and which parts of it I just don't want anything to do with anymore. Mm. And I started talking about that publicly almost a year ago, mm. which was a, a combination of super rewarding experience, also a costly experience. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but mostly I've spent the last year having conversations with people that in previous years, I might have been intimidated by or mm. fearful of or tempted to other. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding insane amounts of joy in experiencing uh, relationships with people that I wouldn't have had the courage to engage with before out of just fear. Mm -hmm. um, that's that I guess kind of sums it up. <laughs> mm. So what I'm hearing is you're a backslider. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, bro. Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm I mean, joking. I mean the, the more nuanced version of that is I thought I knew what Christianity and faith and spirituality was, but mm. I saw one, one, I saw one piece of a bigger whole and thought it was the whole. Mm -hmm. And so I rejected the whole. Mm. And once I, once I rejected the whole, I discovered, once I rejected the whole, W-H-O-L-E, mm -hmm. I discovered the whole, H-O-L-E, that that left mm. behind. And I knew mm. that my life was not complete without understanding more about who we are, where we come from, and what it means to be human. I guess. <laughs> Something like that. Thank you for coming to the sermon, everyone. Uh, <laughs> tithes up. and offerings at the door. <laughs> oh, that ministered to me. Oh, uh, see, see, okay, so like I am such a church woman. Like I'm, I'm a churchy girl. Yeah. And so yep. I, I talk in terms like this. So just if it triggers you, my bad. Um, hey, and also on that note, I have casually said man twice in this conversation and i do that instinctively and uh it's a it's something i'm trying to train myself out of but i haven't mm. yet succeeded so i'm gonna plead for your grace on on oh, stuff sure. like that yo for me like I, I tell people you can call me brother i'll be your girlfriend <laughs> you know i'll be your good judy it's like it's because i really do like being gender fluid because yeah you know I like saying gender fluid, but like it takes a little bit more explanation than non-binary. Yes. Because <laughs> um, yes. if to say that I'm non-binary is to like give a nod to saying that the binary is real. And I'm like, I don't think the binary is real at all. Oh, and so okay. I, that's helpful made it for me to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's one of these things where we're trying what we're really trying to say in non-binary is like we're like, you know, literally whatever's outside of this outside of this binary which i think is where like the spirit of god like mm. in all of like the creative yumminess that is masculine and feminine energy which i don't use those in the classic terms just like in the in the ways that we understand masculine and feminine like these two right. types of energy you know not necessarily right. associating you know femininity with you know a particular kind of body yeah uh, but for me like I, I i've told people i'm just like there's not a word in the english language right now that helps me like the closest i've come the closest i've come to understanding it is like how two spirit describe two spirit folk describe themselves as like native having, a native tradition yeah yeah you know so i can't i don't claim that title for myself but having like masculine and feminine spirit in the same body 
Or one person described Jesus as a masculine body with a feminine spirit. And I'm like, that, that rings true. That rings the most true for me is like, cause I love my body. I think it's really dope. I don't have a problem with, I don't, the only time I've ever had dysphoria was actually when I shaved my beard. Um, really? Yeah. It was really cause I, uh, I tried drag for the first time and like, you know, I was yeah. really trying to be super fishy and like did not succeed first of all. Um, but like I was looking at myself in the mirror as I was taking off, you know, the geesh and I, I kind of felt this shame point in me of just like, interesting of feeling like I was trying to imitate or strive for this being a beautiful woman. And it was just like, you're never going to be that Kevin. But, and mm -hmm. it was like, it really hurt at first. And then there was just something that was like, Kevin, you're never going to be that because you are something else entirely. And yeah, so the next time I did drag, yeah. I kept my beard and I was like, this, this is it. You're like, this is it. Yeah, this makes sense yeah. to me. So like, even like, you know, if I like, I mean, I've only been able to perform drag once because COVID. Right, um, right. Literally went to Detroit because my friend let me like, you know, perform at his party as a gag. Yeah. Um, and I did pretty fucking good. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, that was one of the moments where it's like, oh, this makes sense to me. But it was really like the idea of being... Uh, you know, we talk about the universe being ever expanding and I'm like, I don't understand that either, but that's what my gender feels like. It's just, yeah. <sighs> yeah. The more, the more I was, I was, I was on a run with a friend today who, who, you know, is, is a more traditional Christian theologian, speaker, writer guy. And we, we have lots of conversations about this kind of stuff. And, and, I, we were talking about the sort of the ever expanding nature of existence and how it keeps, mm. it seems like it keeps iterating. Yes. And, uh, and, and I was, I was talking about how the idea I'm, I'm obsessed with the idea of emergent properties. So I'm say more about that, please, because there's somebody who doesn't know what that is. Right. So and I'm that somebody isn't me. I don't, <laughs> I totally know what it is. I'm not asking. Yeah, I'm obsessed with it because it's like, so emergent properties is basically the idea that as things grow in complexity, you you uh, there are new properties that emerge at higher mm. levels of complexity that were not present at lower levels of complexity. So, for example, yes, um, for example, like uh, atoms bond together and form molecules and molecules suddenly have properties that atoms alone don't have. Molecules mm. can form yeah. cells. Cells have properties that molecules don't have. And yes. these properties seem to just emerge and we don't know where they come from. We don't know, you know, and it's, it's a little bit, uh, oh, sorry, it runs. Yeah. And, and, and it goes all the way up. Right. So it goes all the way up to human beings. And now we, there we go. There we go. All right. Uh, I'm not you... sure. I'm not sure if that was on my end or yours. Nor am I. Um, you, you might want to, if you want to reset you. Yeah. Can't, that but either way we're back now you're back in my arms okay all right um, back. okay so mercury properties yeah Emergent properties you were saying cells and then it got a little whack right right so cells uh can come together and form multicellular organisms like plants animals you and me and and those organisms have properties that cells alone don't have and then you mm. get all the way to consciousness and and now I'm speaking about consciousness from the perspective of a human being, because that's my experience with consciousness. Oh my God, you're human. That's so fucking wild. <laughs> well, what I mean is we don't know actually what, 
we don't really have a good way of knowing what consciousness, what that experience is like, say for animals or something like that. Yes. So, so I think for a long time, I assumed that only human beings experience consciousness Mm. and, and we sort of don't have any reason to believe that it's limited to that, you know, as far as, as far as I've seen. So Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I'm sort of obsessed with the idea of emergent properties because it really forms a question in my mind of like, Mm. why is it that reality itself seems to iterate towards more and more complex form, Mm -hmm. which totally goes against entropy, right? Mm -hmm. Like it goes against... It goes against what you would think of everything just degrading and decaying and becoming more uniform. Things become more complex. And why is that? Hmm. So I'm, I I find myself really intrigued by that. And there's something in that when you start to talk about the divine or you start Mm -hmm. to talk about God or whatever word we want to use. Yeah. Sorry. I'm looking, I'm, as you're describing this, I'm looking up and I'm having all sorts of like really interesting pictures coming into my head uh, as you're describing this. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I get this. All right. So by no means do I feel like I'm thoroughly studied on this stuff. Of course. I've just, I've just read enough and learned enough to make me go, Whoa, 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 Whoa. What? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and I feel like if I spend my life being curious and engaged in that way, it's a pretty good way to go through life. Like, whoa, 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 wait, you're telling me what? Tell me more about that. That's my favorite thing. That's a good way to go through life. You know, Mm -hmm. it sounds Um, like, it sounds like to me, and this is, you've, you've rediscovered wonder. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I think, I think I did not embrace wonder fully uh in my sort of christian life mm-hmm. and i don't think i embraced wondered fully in the atheistic season that followed mm-hmm. and i feel like i'm embracing wonder more than i ever have now mm-hmm. and the way that you feel about uh words describing gender and gender expression mm-hmm. is the, the that's the way that i feel about describing my spirituality can I tell you? And like, that's it right there is because how my, how, how we experience, uh, let me just say this for myself, how, what you're describing is also what I experience in my own spirituality It's just like, the mm. and it was because understanding God as fully female and fully male, both of right. these things at the same time was the jumping off point to seeing you know the whole of creation as the body of christ or like mm-hmm. you know the whole of the universe as god trying to figure god's self out if you will if god yeah. has a self or just well, like understanding that god's self is you and me and that truth. right right it's you like I, the truth. yeah what i what i sort of shared what i shared with uh my friend sean this morning was like i feel like at one point in my life I, I, my relationship, the way that I thought about myself and thought about God looked sort of like, I thought of myself as a minnow and I thought of God as like the blue whale, like the biggest fish in the ocean, right? Uh, It's a whole separate thing. Yes. And now it's like, oh no, 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 no. I'm, I might still be a minnow, but if God is real, he's not the blue whale. He's the ocean. Mm -hmm. And he, she, it, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, like. Uh, and, and the, and then you can go further and go like, well, living animals 
are primarily made up of water also. Mm-hmm. So it's like even in the fish, there is ocean. My, my. And, and so, and so I like, I, mm. I, I, I shared that. Even with, with in the friend, fish, John. there is ocean mama. Come on poetry. Well, so then I just like that, that thought freedom. That's mm. how that, that's, that's what that is to me because it goes, Oh, like mm-hmm. what if, what if, what if instead of trying to get all this shit, right, mm. we can step out into our life and we're already, we're already there. We're in it. Hello. Listen, if I make my, if I go on the highest mountain, you would find me. If I make my bed in Sheol, bitch, you're already there. <laughs> that's that. That's it really does take a whole, what it like, like. Uh-huh. exactly where. And then like, when you realize, like, when you're just like, uh, the way I, I think about it too, is like, sometimes like when I hear like the way I kind of relate to spirit now and like within my own person, um, it's kind of under like some, I can't remember where it came from, but this idea of like, I am God to my body. Like mm-hmm. I can only have an experience in here. Um, and so when I was reading, sometimes when I'm reading scripture or Psalms or just like any sort of encouragement or prayers, I think about my body, pr- my body praying to me, if you will, or my, yeah, it, it, it's almost just like, if I'm understanding that I am that loving awareness. Yeah. Like um, something Course in Miracles says, I understand that to call upon God's name is to call upon my own. Mm, and so which, like. Which in the circles we grew up in is straight oh, heresy. Hell yes. Listen, my mother does not listen to my podcast for this very reason. <laughs> well, it's also because I talk about my sex life on the air and she doesn't want to hear that either. So <laughs> She doesn't want to know. No, no, not a yeah. bit. Um, oh my God. Typical mom. Ugh, what a prude. Yeah. My Sorry. mom, my mom is a very adventurous spirit. So I think there is a, there's a part of her that would be totally willing to hear about my sex life. Mm. Uh, we don't, that said, we don't talk about it. <laughs> I don't mean, I don't, I don't suggest it. I think that, that level of intimacy is great for some. And you know, yeah. for, for those of us, I'm very, very content. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would talk about it to my mother's just like, she's, um, She's 60 now. She's 60 now. Because mm-hmm. I have to remember, no, 61. We're 30 years apart. I found, oh, okay. I, yeah. I don't know how I missed that my entire life until I turned 30. And I'm like, oh, we're just 30 years apart. Okay. Yeah, that only gets weirder. I'm I'm getting closer to 40. So I'm. And I'm looking th- fresh to death. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I will I will receive that compliment because I am mm-hmm. at an age where I will take every single one of them. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, like uh, it starts to be what's, what's super weird for me is I 40 is the first birthday. I remember seeing my dad celebrate for himself. Mm. So the significance of that, to say me, more about that. The significance of that to me is as I enter my forties, I'm entering an era where I specifically remember watching my father live these years exactly. And, hmm. uh, a and, karmic coda. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it's so layered because I can go, okay, there's things that he did that I don't want to do. There's things he did that I do want to do, but m- more than anything, it, it gives me compassion and empathy for him mm. because I'm raising kids. He was raising kids. 
that shit is not easy. And, uh, and, and I go, Oh, Hey, he did a lot for me. Mm. And I, I'm struck by an increasing sense of gratitude for that, even mm. though, you know, we're all imperfect. There's things that believe me, I spent time criticizing him for, you know, like to his face and not. Uh, but I feel like it brings this new sense of like, Oh, mm. he, he did good. He did good. You know, he, yeah. he did his, he did what he knew how to do. Mm. And I'm grateful. You know, that's what 40 feels like for me. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to get there. Like, I mean, just getting to my 30s, like, it's like 30 has been, 30s, 30s have been, are great. Are great. 30s are where, and you're experiencing this, I'm sure, you, you discover like, A, oh, I don't, I don't really have to care what all of you think about me anymore. No, I don't you know? have to give a shit. Yeah, that's, that's a relief. And also, like, in your 30s people start to treat you differently you know it's like oh oh like, my god like, Ex exactly not a kid anymore exactly yeah. and like nobody will talk to me on a dating app because i'm an old <laughs> really let me okay it's it's a kind of like this trope like in like the gay community just like you hit 30 you might as well bury yourself you know really it's that it's sucks. a trope it's a trope and yeah. among like the what i would say like you know circuit party scenes sure. where it is very um surface level very you know you know, sex focus, which is, you know, it's neither good nor bad. It just is. Just is. Um, I wouldn't, I don't feel comfortable there. It's very, it feels shallow to me. It's, mm -hmm. that's not what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, but like, it's, uh, I will say like, I feel like I've gone on, well, I mean also COVID-19 barring yeah. the world. Um, but like, I noticed like when I hit 30, like I, they they treat you differently. They don't respond really? to you as much. Yeah. So I could lie because they own 29. But then like I do this and like my forehead wrinkles show up and it's like, oh, God, let me. Yeah, get I got the one right here. Listen, let's go get some Botox together. It's fine. Yeah, men, I, men are doing it, too. OK, yeah, I, I'm going to I'm going to come clean. <gasps> I have done it. Confessions. <gasps> You've put a Botox in your face. Yeah, I actually just got it again like a week ago. Good for you. Listen, I, I don't give a fuck. I haven't, I, think... I haven't said that publicly anywhere, but here we are. Listen. Uh, well, my so my wife does hair and makeup and she's mm -hmm. in the beauty industry very much. And she, mm -hmm. uh, she, you know, she was like, you know, guys do it too, honey. Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, well, I'll just try it a little bit mm -hmm. because I had some of this right here. And of course it's one of those things where like mm -hmm. you try it once you're like, well, that's amazing. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Like, listen, if it were, um, if it were in my budget right now, um, and also if I was like seeing anybody, but I'm not like, I don't know. Right. I, right. Well, I, if, I had, if I had anyone to look pretty for, I had um, the, I had the sort of self talk about like, Hmm, is this the, is this the most, is this a good thing for me to spend money on? Is it okay? For me to spend money on this did you feel immoral at, at one point at any point i i i thought i wrestled with it to be honest i was like yeah because this, that's where it's where i kind of land myself yeah well like it's like could this money be put to better use hmm. i had that thought yeah um but where i sort of landed was that that assumes finitude it it, it assumes 
it assumes a limited pool. Hello, come on, scarcity mindset. Hello. So, so, so the spirit of abundance versus spirit of scarcity. Maybe I'm just totally rationalizing something I want to do. I don't know. I mean, because here at the at the end of the day, it's like we have to understand that morality is also something self-ascribed, anyways. And so, truly. You know, as it's and I have to like, you know, if I want to boil it down to the basic yeah. thing, it's just like as long as in the long term or yeah. even, you know, it's like, you know, we can look at our fashion and say, like, you know, choose your fashion wisely so it doesn't impact the most vulnerable person. But like a Botox, as long as the Botox is not being produced by, you know, bat breaking right. labor. Right. Um, right. And I also was sort of like it's a, that. When you start moralizing decisions like that, it's a really slippery slope, which is one of the reasons I feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable. So I feel uncomfortable with big, huge mega churches, but I oh. also I also feel uncomfortable criticizing them on a, a financial level because I'm just like, I don't know where the moral high ground is on exactly where every dollar should go. Mm-hmm. So... While I'm uncomfortable, while I'm comfortable, like looking at certain things and being like, I'm not comfortable with that use of resource. Mm -hmm. I also am uncomfortable with, with getting too comfortable critiquing it because I'm just like, where does that end? You know, like, and, and certainly I'm, you know, it would, then it would just be easy for, for me to look at myself and like, well, shit, Mm -hmm. like there's things, you know, it's a, it's a very, I think very hesitant to criticize on that level because Mm -hmm. I don't know where that criticism ends. I don't know either. The idea I have, at least for the metric I use to measure on. Oh, I'm I'm open to this. Yeah. Tell me. Is, um, you know, if I'm looking, I I think about power, for example, you know, and because like, it's really like, how is your power being exercised? Is it being freely shared? Mm -hmm. And is it bottlenecking anywhere? And is money the thing that is keeping certain people insulated from accountability. Um, mm. And so that's where I think a lot of my critique of mega churches come from. It's not so much like where they spend their money, but how they spend their money. That's and, a good metric. That's a good yeah. metric. I think, I think the way that I'm thinking about it is like, I'm uncomfortable. I'm deeply, and this is coming from someone who did 15 years of Christian music. So lots of money spent on mm-hmm. lights, stage, uh, uh, you know, tour bus. Uh, Damn like, good show too. I'm, I'm not, thank you. I appreciate that. I, uh, so I'm not immune to this criticism here, sure. but I, I, I find myself wondering about the, I find myself deeply uncomfortable with how much money gets spent on those kinds of things when at one point or at, at various points in certain ways, Christianity's expression has been a much more, folk it's been much more focused on the the poor the needy the widow mm-hmm. the orphan there 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 are expressions of christianity that put that front and center and and i i find that to be really beautiful but what i experienced for for a lot of my experience in evangelical christianity is that mm-hmm. helping people was a sideshow it hello. was like ooh hello it was like that extra thing you do optionally, you know. Yeah, you when you go, when, yeah, if you want to go on the mission trip, if you want to yeah. go to the soup kitchen thing, if you want to go do this thing, it's available for you if you want it. It's not, yeah. ex- you know, but at minimum, make sure you're tithing though. Right, right. And so, so 
that makes me uncomfortable where it's like our focus is here and, and, and then helping people outside the church is, is, is a, Mm. is an afterthought that makes me uncomfortable. Um, but you know, it's like, I've noticed that every time I feel tempted to criticize, I feel like I just, I feel Mm. humbled in other ways where I'm just like, "Mm, Oh yeah. Okay. Like, I think it can be a both and because there, yeah. I don't, I know that I'm not immune to criticism. And in fact, like if somebody has a critique of me and this is for me, it's like, I'm not afraid to be wrong anymore. Oh, like if I'm, if I'm I, wrong, I have practice. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong so that I can stop yeah. being an asshole or whatever I'm doing. And like, I can do, you know, what does the yeah. good book say? Stop doing what is evil and learn to do what is right. This is what mm-hmm. the Lord desires. That's what I want to do. That's all I really mm-hmm. care about. And I think it really comes down to like that is like, if somebody in your church, it's all, I mean, it's the same thing I would, I would talk about like Jeff Bezos, for example, I don't care that Jeff Bezos is rich. I care that Jeff Bezos's employees cannot pay their bills. Yeah. I care that they have unsafe work environments. Same thing with like a church. Like I don't care that a, a pastor is rich. I care that someone in your congregation probably can't pay their bills right now and you're not helping them. Someone in your congregation and home because queer somebody in your congregation is being abused by their husband and you're not talking about it and it's like you know it's uh it's a little bit apples and oranges here it's it's in some ways it's about the money in other ways it's like it's about so much more than that yeah it's just it's it's one it's more like a a symptom of a larger problem for sure and even if you take even if you look at straight economics like take spiritual you know set spirituality aside for a second Mm -hmm. just looking at straight up nuts and bolts economics there's a lot of data that shows that the more inequality increases in a society the more unstable it gets my Um, my so yeah so i mean that like it seems as far as i can see the healthiest societies in the world are ones that seem to draw from both capitalism and socialism and, yes. and, and find some sort of a creative synth- synthesis there. Um, I, I'm not an economist, so I'm not an expert on this at all, but I know Brazil is a good example of a country that's, that's uh, unbridled capitalism, basically. A, a huge yeah. disparity between the rich and the poor. I mean, you know how much it costs to live there? Like a Brazilian dollars. <laughs> I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> I couldn't. Oh, I couldn't help that. myself. I'm uh, keeping that. Oh my god. You're welcome. Gosh. Take it. I um. Wow. I got it. I got it from somebody else. I'm sure. How? How on earth? Like, you don't get set up for that very often. Not at all. I had a. I had a moment, and I struck. I felt very <laughs> good about it. <laughs> right. Um, what, also, what I was gonna, yeah. what I was gonna say, like contemplating Brazil is like you have these really, really rich people, and mm-hmm. you have very poor people, and the way that the rich people are forced to live is to erect these big, huge walls around their comp, you know, their mansions, their compounds. They have to hire security, and they can't just walk down the street because, because mm-hmm. there's, you know, it's there's like, danger for them. They could get mugged. Right. So, so it's like, then you look at like uh, Denmark. And so you, you, you stroll through Copenhagen and the entire experience of the city of Copenhagen is an experience that everyone shares. And yeah, there's like the wealthy have less wealth, but 
like one of the mind blowing ideas that I encountered recently was someone said, I would challenge you to take a wider view of what wealth means. If, if, you, if you are wealthy, but you can't leave the walls of your compound, are you wealthy? Or are you trapped? Yeah. And so like, so like if you, if you make, you know, a middle-class living, but you live in a city that is beautiful and clean and rich in art and culture, and you have healthcare and, and, and like all of these things. And life is good. Which, where would you rather live? I mean, I need Sorry, somebody. Soapbox, soapbox moment. Listen, if there's any gay men from Copenhagen listening to this podcast, I'm ready to get my dual citizenship on, baby. <laughs> I'm ready to dual citizenship with you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what the kids say I, about making relationships is to ship something. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, yes, I have, I have been uh, introduced to that via the internet. Oh, but that, okay. First of all, before we go any further, just a sidebar. This is one of the most interesting conversations I've had with somebody, re-Christianity, spirituality, economics, and metaphysics, and I'm really enjoying it. Getting back oh, thank to- Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm loving this too. Uh, th I mean, sometimes a conversation just has a mom momentum of its own, doesn't it? Mm. That's what I really enjoyed about, uh, uh, I didn't, when I first started podcasting way back in the day, and like, I tried really, really hard. I was trying to be like, um, I really loved Serial and I really loved NPR. Mm -hmm. um, Serial, the podcast, just for the record. I do love Serial. Not Serial, the, the, the breakfast food. I do love Serial though. Um, and yeah. Magic Spoon, if you're listening, you can sponsor oh. me. Call me up. I would love to get a discount code to my people. Lols. You know, speak it into existence. Magic Spoon is spectacular. It really is. It's yeah. so good. Non-spawn. Um, and you're anyways, like, you're like, there's protein in here. Really? I know. It's like, I'm fuller for longer. What a <laughs> blessing. That's the thing about like, um, getting older is like, I have to trick my, I can't eat. Uh, I don't know. What is it? I can eat as much as I want, but it's just that like, I find with my medication, I don't find myself as hungry. And then I sometimes forget to eat. So when I do eat, I need to make sure I have an, an as much protein as possible so that yeah. I can sustain it through the day. Cause these are my thirties and now my body says <laughs> everything changes, man. That, oh my God. That it's, only, that only, yeah, that only gets worse. I gotta tell you. I mean, like nobody told me that hemorrhoids were a thing, but I hit 30 and my body was just like, Hey bitch, I'm done. You're they never going to bottom again. And I'm like, this is, <laughs> I was just getting good too. Like I was, uh, I, I miss when hemorrhoids were a joke. I know they're not funny. I don't think they're funny at all anymore. They're not a joke. No, no, they're serious pain. Um, if you are a younger person, a Gen Z person, I can't wait for you to suffer like me. Just kidding. I hope that they we find have, a cure for cancer and that we have covered some ground. We truly have. We've gone all the way from, uh, emergent properties to hemorrhoids. Yeah. I want to, um, <laughs> So uh, just to like, you know, boost your stuff a little bit. You have a new podcast out that you've started recently and it's also a YouTube show. It is yep. aesthetically pleasing. You do a really, really good setup. And I also kind of need you to like video your setup and send it to me so I know how to make mine. Sure. Yeah. Um, because deadass, I'm actually trying to like get on your level between you <laughs> and Mike. I'm just like, oh, I can do that shit. This is going to be fun. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, 
Yeah, it's uh, the podcast is called The Wonder and the Mystery of Being. Uh, it is exploring continuing questions about spirituality um, and a lot of adjacent issues. So sometimes I speak with people who happen to be Christian. Sometimes I speak with people who would identify as atheists. Sometimes the that identification is irrelevant. Um, mm. And yeah. I'm, Typically, no matter how people choose to identify along the spectrum of spirituality, I just generally don't even ask. Because, um, mm -hmm. oh, okay. I, amen. My experience is that while it's fine for someone to go ahead and use a particular label if they feel like it's helpful in a conversation, to go like, hey, this is a good description of where I'm at. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I find that when you ask, you know, hey, are you a Christian or are you an atheist or how do you identify when you ask that question? Yeah, that has so many, that doesn't mean much. Well, what, it, what you're trying to do is short circuit a conversation. So you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're going like, I could get to know more about you or I could just ask this question and save myself 30 minutes. And it's like asking what your Enneagram type is. <laughs> well, that one, yeah, for some reason, I'm more comfortable uh, uh, talking about that one. But, uh, I just want to know what all your pitfalls are before I get there. So I can know if I yeah. want to avoid you or not. Well, my, I'm an eight. So, so am I. That's why I like yeah. you so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, when I took the test three or four years ago, it was like a three. I came out as a three, but like with a strong eight mm -hmm. uh, as the second one or whatever and then i took it again since sort of going through this process of deconstruction and surprise it mm -hmm. came out as an eight so apparently you can change mm. as possiblemente i mean like it's not a fixed science so like yeah, as, yeah. I, who, who knows yeah but along with the the labeling thing what i found is um by refusing to it's not even that i'm it's, it's not even that like, I don't think the labels are ever helpful. It's that I have found it particularly helpful to resist the urge to ask because, mm. because what I do, anytime I feel myself wanting to know the answer to that question, I mm. just start asking them about their life mm. and their perspective. And it goes to so much more interesting places than, than just like, are you a Christian or yeah. are you an atheist? Or do you believe in God? It's just like things get way more interesting if we just go like, hey, what are you so doing like, what, with your life? What brings you life? What makes you come alive? Like what things are you stoked on? Mm -hmm. That's a more interesting entry point for me. Yeah. And that is also actually, in my opinion, it's the only thing that actually matters. Because if I say that I'm a Christian, it can mean either I am a contemplative. Oh. It could mean that I am a charismatic. It could mean that I'm a QAnon, you know, uh, insurrectionist it can mean yeah. a whole lot of things oh, if yeah. i say that i am uh you know it's the it's the problem with identifying with things mm -hmm. and also at the same time for some folks it gives a really really clear distinction and i'm fine i have found for myself is like i won't call myself a christian but if other people want to call me a christian i'm like sick mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but yeah. if and if that person says no, you're not a Christian because you're gay, I'm like, cool, not a Christian. Don't need it. Because it Wait, doesn't you, fucking matter to me. Wow. So you feel like if someone says that you're you can't be a Christian because you're gay, you oh. like you you are able to resist the urge to 
to respond to that? I am now. I wasn't always. Because I wouldn't be able to. Well, because it's like. I'd be like, oh, really? Let me tell you about that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of those things where I think I've gotten really clear about who I want to spend my energy on and trying to convince somebody who's likely. Yeah. What's the, what's the phrase? Committed to misunderstanding me. Mm. That doesn't sound like fun to me. And also, like, I have to think, like, if in this conversation, am I going to move this person closer to a better stance in that it's the thing. It's just like, I have to put an emotional energy to be kind to that person. And so mm-hmm. rather than spending the emotional energy to snap back, although sometimes I do cause it's fun or trying to convince them that they're wrong and that they could, should repent of their ways. I just be like, all right, will you leave me alone now? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just so much happier now because yeah, there is a some, healthy way to deal with it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it also like it takes the wind out of their sails because they are expecting to defend themselves and to defend Jesus, the Bible and the whole shebang. And I'm over here like, OK, like if you don't want me, fine. Yeah. And then they're like, wait, but wait a minute. You don't yeah. want to. I'm like, no, you said I can't be in your club. And that's fine because I don't need you either. Mm-hmm. And then it, it really like, as like, as like Jesus told me to go this way. And I'm like, I don't know what you want me to do. Yeah. The, this is something my wife taught me in practice and in, in speech is that like, like if, if my wife and I ever gotten an argument, she has always been very good at being like, just giving me the cold shoulder. She's mm-hmm. like, okay. And then she knows immediately. I'm like, Honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I want to be good. Like, I like I need I need you. Like, like that's what AIDS do. We know yeah. that when we fuck, we're like, oh fuck, I did that thing again, didn't I? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she also taught me that if someone sends me like a like a nasty text message, mm-hmm. literally the the most the best way I can get back, if I want like to get back at them. Kind of the best thing I can do is not respond because they will, they will just bake in their own resentment, you know, Mm -hmm. because they want something from you. They want that energy. Even they want that attention, even if it's a negative attention. Yeah. So sometimes if I, if I, if I get like a, like a nasty message or something, if it's someone I know personally, and I know I'm going to need to respond at some point, because I want to, I want to work on this relationship or something like that, then, then I'll typically give myself 24 hours Mm-hmm. for several reasons i will be able to respond with more grace mm-hmm. and whatever i say will be received with more grace on their end because the heat has dissipated you mm-hmm. know hopefully and and there's a tiny little bonus there that for the first hour or so they're going to be checking their phone really nervous mm-hmm. about it waiting for me to respond and i can sort of a little bit be like well you can bake in that you know uh mm-hmm. That's, Listen, that's we my, are, what that's is, my what, more selfish. That's my more selfish. Maybe I would call that. I would call that um, just. It's like a, it's just a little bo- a spiritual bonus, if it's you a, will. It's a bonus. Yeah. It's like it's like you know. It's like I didn't want them to suffer. I just yeah. know that they will, and that's so unfortunate. I wish they would just release it to God. I really do. Yeah. But oh well. That's yeah. all. And because so, of the yeah. Oh, I was gonna. I was gonna ask you, um, like. With your upbringing, how how did the how did like the the process of going from from that 
upbringing to where you are now. I'm, see, now I'm interviewing you, uh, but, I, I, but I'm just really curious, uh, like what that process looked like for you and how you, I mean, did you manage to retain sort of a, a, a spiritual life that whole time? Or was there a period where you were like, fuck it to all of it? Mm. I, I think my fuck it phase was, um, in college actually, um, went to college, started, you know, lightly coming out of the closet, but then my parents got divorced and I blamed myself because ex gay therapy got you wild like that. Hmm. And I, 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 there was never a moment, I think maybe like three or four months, but then like I was trying to find my way back to church, trying to find my way with Mm. like, I was always like in some sort of proximity to it. (laughs) Um, but then I was like, college was a double life for me. Really? Um, oh, yeah. Because I was one person on campus and I was one person at church. Mm. Um, and I was real popular and I was very publicly queer for like the first three years of school and then accidentally fell into Pentecostalism. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think there was ever a phase where like. Um, it was never not a part of your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, I think in some way, like there was a few seasons where it was just like, I don't know what it looks like, but I know that like, I've always been like a, a weird spiritual person. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, uh, I thought God lived in the institution of the church for a long time and that Jesus mm. and that Jesus was there. And that's the only place I could find him. And then my coming out process just kind of naturally led me to that. And, you know, my exploration of queerness also like led me to question like, you know, it was the it was the question of like you know if I can question this one thing, yeah. What else could I be wrong about? And it turns out a lot. That's how it happens. And yeah, I um, I don't think I ever felt I've never. I mean, because I had a really weird mystical experience at nine years old. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that's what it was until much later in life. But like at nine years old, when I said I accept Jesus as the Christ and my personal Savior, I had a baptism of the Spirit, if you will. Mm. Like. It was fucking ins. It was uh, what I've had later in life and also experienced during a trip was like what one would call it divine union. You know, mm. I had a moment of ecstasy in the spirit, like the shit that like the saints wrote about. And so I didn't recognize it till I got to college and was like reading, you know, Catholicism stuff. And like, yeah, it was like, oh, my God, I've been having all these weird experiences my whole life. And then to discover that people outside of the church were having similar experiences, too. Yep. You know, just so, yeah, like I've always like felt close to God. I was like, I think it was, I was mad at God for a little bit because I thought that God caused my parents to divorce because I was gay and I had done all the right things. And so I was very, yeah. very upset. But then, like, I immediately cowered in fear again, saying, oh, no, I've got to I'm bad. I got to I got to fix this. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like there was like this weird <laughs> I think one of the gayest things I ever did during ex-gay therapy was like, oh, I'm the bride of Christ. Oh, I've got to really imagine God is my God is the lover of my soul. And I really took that seriously that I was in a relationship with God and I almost joined a monastery. I was so serious. Yeah. Because that was the only way I knew how to deal with my feelings. It was just Uh, very interesting. So, Yeah. yeah, I am oddly, um, oddly spiritual human as a, as a young person. And then just never grew out of it, I guess just kept yeah. kind of like, as you were, you were talking about in the beginning to like really bring it around. What's it called? Expanding something or others. 
uh, emerging properties. Emerging properties. Or, sorry, emergent emergent properties. I can't remember exactly which is technically correct. Yeah, it's um, yeah. something like that. But I think that's kind of like how I think about like what you're saying spirituality. It's just like it started off as this thing. And once I understood Jesus very, very clearly from a young age. Hmm. And then once I got to a point where it's just like, oh, this thing is broken. Like, yeah. this isn't Jesus. I always like I always just knew like my church. I'm like, this is not Jesus. This yeah. is not this is not the love I know. This is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't allowed to say that out loud. But my right, right. my spirit and body, she always knew. I had I had inklings over the years of mm. things that I thought maybe we didn't have right in mm. Christian culture and the church. And, and like I was embedded in it. Um, like I was, you know. It was pretty actually hypocritical for me yeah. because can I ask you about timeline real quick? So like when yes. you were having these thoughts, like you said I was embedded. So this is like height of your career in ministry and all that shit. So yeah, in so when we got when we when we got going in Hawk Nelson, our whole thing was we don't want to be overtly Christian. It was the late mm-hmm. two or it was the early two thousands. So it was this, there was this very like tooth and nail culture. Oh like, yeah. Listen, you know, like we were on tooth and nail for our first five records. So we, uh, that we, is right. Oh yeah. We were in that whole, it's that whole all world. so, oh yeah. It's all coming back to me now. The showbread shows. Oh my oh, God. Oh yeah. We played with showbread, uh, at Cornerstone. Ugh. We played back to back with them. And I remember being like, my mom was so sketched out because the lead, those very, very, ooh, his ass and those jeans. My God. As a well, young. That was, was my first introduction to skinny jeans, I think, was showbread. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, Anyways. But uh, so like at that time, we were this like sort of Christian version of Good Charlotte or Blink-182 or something like that. And that was a thing in culture where it was like, we want Christian versions of, of secular bands. So we... Um, I don't know how conscious it was, but it was at least a little bit conscious where we were like, oh, that we can do that. Uh, that's something we can do. So let's do that. So we sort of did this like vaguely positive music for, I mean, it was positive, but it was like vaguely Christian, we'll say. I like so, vaguely positive. That's, yeah, I mean, no, it was that's like, how I describe my mood. Vaguely <laughs> positive. I should, I, it's probably more accurate to say positive but vaguely christian okay um and and that was the thing for a while and we you know like when you get into when you get into that you have no intentions of being anything resembling a pastor anything Mm. resembling in ministry anything resembling a theologian and yet i was 20 years old i didn't know shit about theology you know yeah Uh, i'm just it's like i'm a dude in a band yeah, that's what it was. That's, it was an adventure, you know. But then we we found ourselves in these Christian situations, you know, churches, Christian festivals, Christian uh, conferences, where it's sort of ex- we started to wake up to the idea that like, oh, we're being being put on stage, and and there's an expectation that we have something to say and something to teach, uh, and and we're just like, when did that happen? And it sort of I thought, snuck- I, thought we're just, I thought we were here to play music, right? So it sort of snuck up on us, and then in two 2000- thousand. 11 our lead singer jason left the band or or started the process of leaving the band and we were trying to figure out what to do about that and we just figured the band was over but it the idea was floated that i could become the new singer Mm -hmm. so we did that and so from 2012 on i was the singer and once i 
took on that role, I was also like sort of the main songwriter in the band at that point. And so hmm. I started going like, we have a chance to reformulate the band. And this period of like vague Christian music is over. Mm. It's like, if you want to do that, you need to go into the general market and be like a Switchfoot or a Colony House or, yeah. you know, um, uh, Johnny Swim or like, you know, like people that as far as we know are believers, but it's not like CCM. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, it's that or be more explicit. And so we were like, I was like, well, we've always played for youth groups and stuff. Like, let's be more explicit. And so I started writing music that was a lot more explicit about Christianity and God mm -hmm. and Jesus and faith. And I started running into problems because I was like, mm. I'm comfortable saying God, but I'm not comfortable saying Jesus. Why is that? Mm. Oh, and interesting. I, and I'm comfortable talking about God in general ways. But as soon as I get specific, something in my heart go feels inauthentic. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want to say there's something to be said about those of us who like were in any sort of like Christian or worship music space. We were songwriters not being able to write the music that we were told to write. Right. Because well, and isn't right. We're like, we're stumbling into something wrong. Yeah. I remember, um, I, I remember like in a sign songwriting session one time, a, one of the people I was writing with was like, um, see, that's, that's my phone now. Uh, <laughs> one of the people I was writing with was like, um, it introduced the idea of calling God my king. And I was like, no, 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 absolutely not. Um, and they're like, well, why are you uncomfortable with that? And I'm like, I have no idea, but I'm, but I'm not comfortable with it. So mm -hmm. that's a no for me. And uh, I started plumbing, like, why am I uncomfortable with some of these things? Mm. Why, why do I not feel comfortable saying, I love you, Jesus? Why? Why does that feel not right to me? Um, and mm. so I started diving into a lot more theology, other views on Christianity. Um, other, I started studying other religions. I entertained the question, if I was born elsewhere, would I be a Christian? Uh, I, I entertained the question, why are there 47,000 Protestant denominations? My goodness, my God. I I under I under entertain the question why is it that I've never considered Catholics real Christians but most Christians who have ever lived are Catholic, um, including today. Uh, so so I just started entertaining all of these questions and it made Christianity and and my view of the Bible and of God. It made it a lot less clear, mm -hmm. and I started going like, wait a minute. And then I remember entertaining this, this idea that really bothered me. And it was, if I was in a cult, would I know it? Hey, I needed that question too. Holy shit. And, and obviously that's a difficult question to pose to people in your community because it's like, they'll be like, well, no, 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 this is not. Of course not. No, this is my family. And I'm not saying that Christianity is a cult, but I think some of the things that I experienced in evangelical Christianity had some aspects that feel a little cult adjacent. Cultish. Yeah. So, so um, 
that idea messed me up because I was like, wait, 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 wait. Would I know it? Would I be aware? And what would, what would awareness look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and what would I do about it if I figured it out? What would I do about it? And, and, and I remember being like, okay, this is a pretty big, and I was, this is, I'm still writing Christian music while I'm thinking about this. Mm. Oh, so, fuck. So, Ooh, the so we're writing, well, I mean, I wasn't doing it well <laughs> because, because I, it was, this was our last album. The, mm. This was the making of our last album. And everyone in the band was so gracious to me as I, they knew I was struggling with this stuff. They didn't know what to do, how to help our record mm. label, our management. They, they didn't know the degree to which I was wrestling with Christianity as a, as a, as a worldview or as like a whole ethos, mm-hmm. but they knew I was depressed. They knew I was not doing well mm. uh, mentally. And so th- they gave me as much space as they possibly could. But eventually we were just like, well, we need an album. Um, the machine must be fed. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, and and so we we put this album together from what I could manage to come up with and the 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 best things that we could figure out how to make. And it was called Miracles, ironically. Um, mm. and we put it out. And no surprise to me, it didn't do great. Mm. Um and I'm I'm not saying that like it was it was I'm not saying it was an album that was made insincerely, but it was an album in which I was not, I was not as vulnerable as I could have been. Mm. Um, and and I, I do think that vulnerability is one of the keys to great art. Hell um, yeah. So, so anyway, that was, that was, um, that album came out in 2018 and we were starting to already phase the band out because I told the guys I wanted to be off the road. I had recently become a dad. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know people do tour with kids uh, or like have kids and leave them and, and tour, but I just don't want to do it. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So, uh, so the band was already sort of winding down. I was processing all this stuff. And I had the, another question when I started doing more video work where I was like, nobody in my video work needs me to be a Christian. And so what am I? if I have the freedom to be whatever I want to be, mm-hmm. which I realized I had never had until then. Wow. And, uh, and sometimes people challenge me on that point. They're like, no, 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 you had freedom. You had free will that whole time. And I'm like, well, yes and no. Yes and no. It's like, it's not that simple. If everyone, you know, uh, believes something. And if you grow up in it, your entire family is in it. And, uh, your paycheck is dependent on you staying in it. Mm-hmm. Then, are you, then are you free to think otherwise? Yeah. It's one of those, it's like the same question of just like, are you wealthy? Right. Do you really right. believe? Yeah. So not such Ooh. a simple, not just, not, these are not simple questions. Not at all. Ooh, so delicious. And also, also like, sorry, go ahead. You're like, like, do you believe like, cause I've had plenty of people say like, oh, well you never believe. I've had plenty of people. Oh, and, bitch, and, please. <laughs> well, my response to that is how much belief is belief? Like I great. Like my Jesus says a mustard seed, baby. Right. Right. Um, Come on, somebody. So it's like what I thought I believed I did. 
mm-hmm. you know, I felt like I believed I tried really hard. Like I, I, I was always taught that, um, a personal relationship with God is the key to being a Christian. And so I, I really, I really worked at that mm-hmm. and I didn't experience it the way I felt like I was supposed to. Right. And so I always felt like there was something wrong with me. Because yeah. the problem couldn't be on God's end, right? Of course not. Yeah. It was the same so, thing. Like, same thing with, like, my sexual shame my entire life was mm, just, like, I must not want the things of God enough. Wow. Like, that's what I thought. It was, so like, it was, like, the reason God hasn't fixed me is because I don't actually want to be fixed, apparently. Mm. Which is, like, totally fun. And, and, like, I had to blame it on my sin nature, which I was born with, but I can't do anything about. But then also... Yeah. It's it's yeah, obviously it doesn't make sense because it doesn't make sense. The doctrine of original sin is, I think, maybe the most harmful. Mm -hmm. It's one it's it's among the most harmful ideas that exist in Christian culture, I think. That was part more. Mm hmm. That was part one of my conversation with John Steingard. You can check out John's work across the internet at John Steingard on all the social media and check out his podcast, The Wonder and Mystery. The Wonder and Mystery of Being. I almost said The Wonder and Mystery of Being because I'm, I'm real in my Southern accent today. Uh, follow him across social media, listen to the podcast, subscribe on YouTube, the whole nine yards. And John, thanks for coming on the show. I really had a fun time and I can't wait to do it again. And uh, come back later this week and you can get part two of this conversation. It's going to be delicious. We really, it picks up literally right where I cut it off because I couldn't find a good place to just cut it off. So anyways, this podcast is a part of the Irreverent Media Group, a collection of podcasters and creatives making content for wherever you're at in your faith journey, whether at the very beginning or somewhere in the middle, or you're trying to put your shit back together. You can follow us across the internet at irreverent.fm on the website and irreverent underscore FM on Instagram. Follow me across social media at the Kevin Garcia. And if you don't mind, leave me a review on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. It really does help get the show in front of more people. And also share this on social media. Tweet about it. Share it, on, share it in your Facebook group. The whole nine. Because it really does help get this message out to more people. Uh, additionally, mark your calendars. April 18th, come to the Irreverent Media Live show. It's going to be a very, very funny, funny, fun time. You can um, get a, get more spiritual stuff and more delicious content like this in my Patreon group, the Spiritual Reformation Community. It's at patreon.com slash thekevingarcia. And it's not just a way to support the show. It's a way for you to get spiritual connection and help to get you unstuck and get you onto the next thing in your life. So if that's interesting to you or you just want to say thanks, go over there to Patreon and throw us a bone. You can also leave me a tip. Go, My cash app is... Uh, S dollar sign the Kevin Garcia and the Kevin Garcia on PayPal, Venmo, etc., etc. Um, that's it. That's me. That's the show. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Um, I've got some digital retreat stuff coming up, and also we're starting to plan a whole lot of stuff for the fall. So, baby, gird your loins because it's about to be a shot boy summer. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Anyways, till next time. This has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. Take your meds, call your person, see your therapist, shake your ass a little bit, do something that's going to make you feel good, and cuss somebody out. I love you. See you next week. <laughs>